Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daruk people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tangata Finua of Tifanganuyatara, where I'm recording today. Oh, this is our last one, isn't it? Yeah, last one of the first series, if you will. I know. I can't believe we're at episode 10. I know. It's been so lovely. Just spending the time with the characters has been so nice. Taking my time over a book has been just so lovely. It's not something that I normally do. Mm, so, same. Yeah. I read an entire book last night and was like, that was quick. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, boy, I probably didn't get nearly as much out of it as we've gotten out of this one. Hmm. Like, I enjoy, like, I'm a big fan of reading a book in a single sitting and just blasting through it and really get a lot of pleasure out of that. Mm. But it's a different, different practice altogether, isn't it? It's a different pleasure. I'm a chronic rereader, so I tend to do that, but in cycles where I just reread and reread and reread. So it's nice that we've really sat down and done it the one time in a considered way. I guess, technically, you've probably read these over and over each week, right? Because I usually read yeah, through yeah. once, twice, maybe three times. Yeah, I normally read it through once and then go back and look for the theme. Oh, you're so good. I usually just underline and then I go back and look for what I've underlined and try to pull the theme out of that. <laughs> um, do we want to do three bests real quick? Our last three bests? Yeah. Oh, yes, of course. Um, so for me, my best meal was that I went out with friends for dinner on Monday night. And it was like my book club friends. And we just had... Some, you know, Asian fusion food. And I had these amazing bao buns that were just so pillowy and soft and amazing. And then it came with a side of like crunchy cauliflower, Mm. like with a buffalo wing type of sauce. And it was so good. So good. So that was thoroughly enjoyed. And it was way too much food. Like afterwards, I basically had to undo my jeans as I walked out because yeah. I was just like, yeah, that's, so that's the jeggings. You take the jeggings on yeah. those because they have some stretch. I, in terms of best media, I don't know if I would describe it as best media, but it was simply something that took up a lot of my time. But I just finished reading The Name of the Wind um, by Patrick Rothfuss. And this book has been an ordeal for me. Mm. So I've been trying to read it since 2016. I'm not normally someone who, like, I'll try and read a book, and if it doesn't grab me, I'll put it down and move on with my life, because there's way too many books, and I don't like wasting time. Like, I'm not someone who keeps reading a book that I don't enjoy. But so many people have recommended this book to me over the years, and I'm like, no, you've bought it. Just try and read it. Just try and read it. So this was my fourth attempt at trying to read it. I started last August, and I was probably 120 pages in in January this year when I picked it up like a couple of weeks, a couple of days ago rather. And yeah, so, you know, four months to read 120 pages, that's not great. And then I just had a bath the other night and I took it into the bath with me and I was reading it. And then I was like, oh, I've read six chapters in the bath Mm. in like an hour. And then I was 200 pages in and then I was 300 in and then I was like, oh, I can't put it down. And so I finished it last night. Um, Was it good? Yeah. Did you actually enjoy it? I did. I really got into it towards the end. Like I got really wrapped up in the story and I wanted to know more about what was going on and it was quite a nice little mystery. So yeah, I did enjoy it. I just think it took a long time to get going and for me to warm up to the character or to understand what was happening because it's high fantasy, but it's not really high fantasy. 
So I don't know. I don't read a lot of high fantasy. I don't really get into all that world building. Yeah. It's a bit too much for me. Um, so this one kind of was like in the middle. and I don't unless I'm going to stick with the series. Like that's my, yeah, yeah that's my yeah. limit. I, I want to know that I've invested the time thinking about it and staring at the maps in order to then be able to get a handle on how things are going to mm. go in like later books. But in a classic era, I thought there were two of these. Like I thought there was Name of the Wind and then the follow-up book. I didn't realize it was a th- trilogy and the third book hasn't come out yet. So I'm oh, like, no. you've done that thing, Jane. You've done that thing that you don't like doing. Oh, no. <laughs> so I think I might wait until the third one is published before I read the second one. Mm, good call. And then I can read some other things. But yeah, so that was quite... I'm glad to have done it. I'm glad I stuck with it, even though I never would. It makes me think I should return to... Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, which is another book that I've never been able to read, mm. but people always recommend to me. It's hard when they're like 700 pages as well, like yeah. these thick books. Like, oh. Anyway, um, so that was me for media. In terms of my best moment, um, yesterday afternoon I was supposed to go for a run, but I didn't want to, so I went for a walk instead, <laughs> and it was super quiet, and I was listening to a podcast, and there's like a cemetery behind my house. So I went for a walk through there and it's like really overgrown, like really old, oh, you know. that's perfect. And yeah, and then these bunnies just hopped out in front of me on the path. Bunny. And they were all, you know, cute, fluffy, little tail. And I know that they're pests, yeah. but I just think they're really cute. They're pests here like, too, but I super love them. <laughs> oh, they're just so fluffy and they looked so clean. And then they hopped away and I was like, oh, that's delightful. So that was a nice little moment. A little bit of magic in the day. <laughs> um, how was your week? I think it's been pretty good. It's been very relaxed. We've just been super chill. So last night, I just didn't want to cook. And my husband has been doing so much cooking that I was like, let's order in. So we did. And I ordered a green curry, which is my like one Yum. Thai food thing that I get. I just love a curry. So anyway, this was a really amazing and super coconutty curry. So good. I'm just like I'm thinking about it. I overate, and I never do that really, but I overate because it's so good. I was like, I don't want to stop, mm. and it's never good reheated. I don't know. So the best ever curry, so good and so worth it. Mm. Sometimes it's nice to just lay in bed and eat a big curry. I don't know. Oh yeah, big fan. Whenever it rains, I'm like, well, it's a curry night, which in Wellington is quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, you're living the dream. Um, for media, I've just been going through Avatar: The Last Airbender. And I'm now up mm-hmm. to the bit where Zuko has released Appa and then basically had such an identity crisis that he like literally oh. collapses and gets sick. Like this poor kid. And I also meant to tell you that I didn't say who my favorite in Avatar was, which I think you yeah, should know because it? it says a lot about me. My favorite is Sokka. Oh, cute. I am an eldest child stan, obviously. Oh, I love Sokka. And he's so funny. He is funny and he's usually right. And he's, you know, very food focused, which is important. (laughs) (laughs) And he has things like boomerangs and he makes his own sword later out of a meteorite. Maybe later. I don't know. I've seen that episode, though. I just like he tries Mm. so hard and he works so hard and like he wants them to be a team. Um, And that also kind of ties in with my favorite or my best moment, because my daughter has been saying Avatar rewatch, Avatar rewatch. Let's do this, mom. And hanging out with me. Cute. Yeah. It's adorable. I love that. I think what I really like about Avatar is it's like, you know, it's building up to an epic battle. And I like things like that. I think that's why I like Lord of the Rings as well. You know that there's a big culmination at the end. Actually, Harry Potter's like that too, isn't it? Where it really just builds and builds and builds to a big showdown. We like Westerns. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? Want the big catharsis at the end. 
And then I want it to be done. I don't want it to continue. Yeah. I want everyone to live happily ever after. No Death Star 2.0. <clears throat> oh, bloody Death Star. <laughs> come on, we can do better. Just come up with new ideas. It's okay. You're allowed. Oh, should we actually get to our summary? Yeah, let's do it. Um, do you want to read for Puck? I can. Yeah, go for it. All right. So chapter 64. Puck endures the tedium of winning, but badly wants to be with Sean, who is devastated by Kor's broken leg. On the way home, Finn reveals that he placed a few lucky bets. Uh, chapter 65. Puck goes to see actual villain Benjamin Malvern about a job and to settle some debts. She encourages him to reconsider his position as an actual villain. Chapter 66. Sean returns Kor to the sea, but Kor chooses Sean. Um, So our themes for this section was heritage and sacrifice. Yeah. Which, you know, short section, but I think there was a lot of that in there. Absolutely. I I think by making it so small, we gave a lot of opportunity to read a little more deeply into things. We weren't having to scrabble Mm -hmm. to get all of the things we saw, but we had to kind of reach. I felt like I had to reach a little bit further to find them in what was there. Yeah, I agree. Um, Because it was definitely there, but yeah, it wasn't quite as, I guess, full as it normally was. Mm. Because I was like, ooh, okay, we need to to be looking for this. Especially on heritage, I thought. Like, sacrifice was quite obvious, but heritage was a bit more challenging. I went the other way. I thought that it was really easy to see all of the heritage, so. (laughs) Well, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe do you want to talk about sacrifice a little bit? Hmm. So, yeah, you know, for me, I think about sacrifice as giving something up for the sake of others you know you make a sacrifice for someone else's benefit and i think the obvious one here is sean sacrificing core because he thinks that's for core's benefit he's like you know there's that amazing line which i just loved um on page 402 he says he loves the sea and to run and while i could give him one of those things we were happy yeah so he's just so conscious of the fact that you know he can't keep core on the land because there won't be any happiness for him the only other happiness that's available to him is in the sea and then the sea he can be whole you know mm. his broken leg won't hold him back and so he makes this immense sacrifice because for him you know cause is home yeah and you know he says it's something i've taken for granted just the presence of him i rest my cheek against his shoulder my eyes closed for just a second and then i whisper to him find happiness because you mm. know he always whispers to him what he needs to hear and then I just love the fact that Kor then sacrifices the sea and chooses Sean because... Of course he does. Yeah, like I was just like, if he has to find happiness, well, Sean is happiness to him. That's where he's happiest, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it says something about the way, I, like I actually thought that Sean's willingness to endure that heartbreak was the biggest sacrifice mm. at all. Because the only thing he wanted for so long was Kor to be his and to have mm-hmm. him... And then to say, but I want what's best for him. Mm. Because really... That is the ultimate. It wasn't about ownership of core. It was about their partnership. And then it was about their happiness. And his happiness would be marred if he tried to keep core for what he felt were selfish reasons. Yeah, because he need, it needs to be mutual. It needs to come for both of them, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, he says, I can't watch him disappear into the water because it will break my heart. And that's just, yeah. And then there's that whole bit where he says, you know, I try to console myself. I will find another Kapalushka. I will ride again. I will move to my father's home and be free. But there's no comfort in my thoughts. 
and it just I know we've made this comparison throughout this book with Gabe and Puck that you know it's like a bad breakup but that really reminded me of a breakup as well as mm. with this idea that you know I will find love again and that's kind of what Sean's going it's through it's the Ted and Alexis complete... breakup that's what it is yeah yeah exactly it's the, we can't be together but it's not because we don't want to be together it's just because it's not gonna work kind of breakup it's not the right time or the right thing for us but better for having been together and known and loved each other yeah um, the other thing about sacrifice that I want to talk to you about, I'm interested in your opinion, um, is Melvin sacrificing his pride in conceding to Puck's demands? I put the same thing. So I think yes. And I think that he had to salvage some of it. So my take on this section was that Malvern didn't want to hurt Sean and had in fact been very badly trying not to hurt Sean. So I think knowing that selling core was mean that Sean would go but he wanted to keep Sean there Mm -hmm. not just because Sean's a valuable trainer because he is but also because like he actually really values Sean and this is where we see that we see that when he makes that concession that sacrifice it's basically him saying yes he is very good so I agree I think he did sacrifice his pride I wanted to ask you a counter question um Mm -hmm. which is does he do that because he's finally felt enough loss with Mutt being dragged into the sea that he would understand what it would mean for Sean to be without Core? Yeah, I thought about that as well because that, to me, spoke to heritage. I thought that, mm. you know, Melvin's lost his heritage. You know, Mutt's gone. He's got no heir apparent. He's got, you know, if he loses Sean as well, he's got nothing really. Yeah. And I think that maybe that did make him reconsider, especially when there's that scene where he's just sitting, staring at the ceiling. And, you know, she says he frowns at a, a crack in the ceiling. And I was just like, it felt like a moment of loss, like profound loss, where he was just really yeah. grappling with what was going on and... Yeah. Yeah, he and Mutt never seem to get along, but I don't think you can raise someone and not feel something for them. At the very least, the house will be empty, and that's a terrible feeling. There has to be sadness there, right? Like, I thought that as well reading it. I'm like, I wonder if he feels anything, but he has to. Yeah, I think he's lost quite a bit, actually. Not just the opportunity to steal a house from some orphans, and, <laughs> you know, he's he's lost his son, he's lost his best employee. He lost his head groom a few days before that because David Prince was killed so he's now lost his main, like his stable management is gone. He's lost all that experience and you know institutional knowledge if you will and he's lost horses, valuable horses. Absolutely. Kor is no longer able to run and Adana was killed and Fundamental got killed. It's been a big hit for him financially and even emotionally Hmm. this is what happens when you're an actual villain though like you just don't get to win karma (laughs) i mean it's good storytelling right like he didn't suffer for his actions directly there was no like slap on the wrist it just didn't work out for him there's no big payoff for him yeah and i think it wouldn't have been as satisfying for us as readers if there hadn't been something to temper the win. And he still he still insists on Sean paying the full amount for Core. That's the bit of pride I think he couldn't let go. Yeah. If he's going to concede, then he still has to have the upper hand somehow. Well, maybe that's his heritage, that he wants to be known to drive a hard bargain. He doesn't like being seen as a generous person. That's a thing he's very clear on. Yes, because he views generosity as weakness, doesn't he? Yeah, which is crazy because it's the bravest thing you can do to be generous. I think 
in terms of heritage, the main things that I saw were that Puck inherited a lot this section. Mm. She not only gets the title of winner of the Scorpio races, which she directly inherits from Sean, who had it for four Mm -hmm. years before that, but she also gets his job in a way. I mean, she goes and asks for it, but she's now working for Malvern. And the house, she pays it off. Mm -hmm. So it's her house now. And she also inherits the title of provider from Gabe as he leaves the island to start his new life. So she's already like, well, I won the race and the house is fine, but I better get a job so that I can do what Gabe was doing. And I thought Mm -hmm. that's very level of her. And she is a very practical young woman. So I was really appreciative of that. I think it's also interesting because it speaks to her character growth as well. Like the first time she turns up at the Melbourne stable, she walks there and she's like, she imagines herself owning a a stable yard. And Mm -hmm. it's something that she's never entertained before. So then that she goes there to look for a job. It's like she's seen that. I could I could make my home in this environment. You know, I could belong here. Yeah. So she goes and she, she asks for it, which I think is cool. Well, and she doesn't expect Benjamin Malvern to be anything but what he is either. Mm. But she also leaves room. She says, I think I'll start by riding horses and cleaning stalls and pushing a wheelbarrow. She doesn't say, just let me do this. I loved how strong she was in that. Like, I love that she just barged into his house. Just, and just like pushed he away did. And- exactly the way he did and you know he's like oh this is quite rude and I'm like well you were quite rude mm. so quite frankly you know and then she like drinks his tea as well <laughs> just to make a statement I just really enjoyed that and I love that she power dressed for it I'm a big fan of power dressing yes so. yeah so there was a lot of heritage in her getting dressed right so she yeah absolutely did her hair she was thinking of Peg Grattan while she was doing her hair so she could keep a picture of what a nicely done head of hair should look like Um, Mm -hmm. And then she borrowed her mother's bracelet and her mother's necklace and looked in her mother's wardrobe and got dressed with her mother's mirror. So it's still all of these things are still her mother's. I thought it was really interesting that she said, I'm borrowing my mum's coral bracelet. Yeah, present tense. Yeah, borrowing. Yeah. And also the fact that it's still I look in my mum's closet. I'm like, isn't it just your closet? But I think their parents room is still like the parents room. Yeah, Yeah. I think Gabe and Finn have been sharing and nobody Mm. has moved into the third bedroom in that place or touched anything clearly. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's really something powerful about Puck going in and like claiming that space as the new head of the household in a way that Gabe never did. And I think that's the next step in their healing as a family will be, you know, them clearing out that space and putting that kind of to rest. Yeah. Because that's a big step in grief as well. Um, I just assumed she was wearing her mum's clothes as well because she was already in her closet. She says she looks at the dresses and then she picks out a, a blouse instead mm. and some slacks. And I'm like, hmm. So she's like dressing up in what she thinks is like a grown up attire. And then she sees her mum's face. And yeah, that's real strong heritage in there. She takes control of her destiny completely, right? Of her. And she takes what she wants to take from the past to move forward in her own way. Mm, She's not dwelling on it. No, they're moving past it. She's moving past it. I'm so proud of you, Puck Connolly. I am so proud of you. Me too. I think Gabe's really proud of her too. He is. He gives her a nice compliment. Yeah, I know. And he made a dinner, which I thought was quite cute. Yeah. You know, and Finn's like, Gabe's cooking up a feast. Cute. So cute. Can we talk about, oh, you know what? Actually, I will bring this heritage up, this last bit of heritage, and then we can talk about one of my favorite bits of the book. Um, The inside of Malvern's house felt very significant in terms of heritage. Mm. So everywhere that they have spoken, everywhere that both narrators, Sean and Puck, have spoken about the inside of a place, it's been very focused on the people inside of it and Mm -hmm. what is inside of it. And I just am not getting any vibes from Benjamin Malvern. It is a huge, cavernous, very empty space. Yeah, 
Yeah. And there's a table. That's it. And high ceilings, which I immediately thought that would be such a pain to heat in the cold winter. Mm. A big empty room with high ceilings. That is just a recipe for not having a very warm room. To me, it just spoke about Melvin's need to keep up appearances. You know, Mm. he has to be Mm -hmm. in a big house. He has to be the stately manor. And so it's all about what it looks like. And it's not homely. There's nothing personal there. Yeah. Yes. It reminded me of you know, in an Austin adaptation or whatever, when the, the Lord comes home and all the furniture is covered in sheets because, mm. you know, he's been away. Like, that's what it felt like. It felt unloved. Yeah, it, there were no personal touches. Who is this person who has no... I've said before, and I know it seems terrible, but if you don't have any hobbies, I don't know that I can relate. Like, people need to have something they're passionate about. Otherwise, I'm just like, what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> Not what do you, like, do for a job. Like, what do you do in your There's life? Still part of me... That just thinks that he doesn't live on the island. That he just comes and goes and he's not at home here. It's not his home. It's just the thing that he has. I don't know. It just feels so... It's just a big space and nothing. Yeah, and I wonder if maybe this is where he's ended up because it's the most convenient and cheap place to do what he needs to do. And because there's like this little ecosystem, he can like control the microclimate of Mm. the economy on Thisbe. But he doesn't like it. He doesn't love it. And it doesn't love him. No. No. And whatever it is about Thisbe that other people really respond to, he's enduring it for something else. Yeah, it's because there's that line where Puck, after she sees him, she talks about the breeze runs long and low across the ground, sweeping up the sea and the island grass and the hay and the horses. I think it's the best smell in the world. She has such an innate appreciation for Thisbe and everything that makes it Thisbe, which is the complete opposite of Malvern, who would mm. never notice that. Never. In a million years. Like, he wouldn't take the moment and enjoy it. He calls it a ruin. I keep going back to that because I think, like, what what is a... Like, sometimes ruins are beautiful. But that's not how he means it, is it? No, it's really not. I mean, like, I, I went to a few castles in Wales and Chepstow was by far my favorite. And that would be probably a ruin. Mm. There's no ceiling and bits of it are crumbling and, like, you can't go in all the parts of it. But it was so beautiful. And it was a ruin, but it was so beautiful. Mm. Yeah, I'm a big fan of it. I actually love a crumbling ruin with, you know, nature reclaiming it. I think there's Mm. such beauty in that. Like, I love nature reclaiming old spaces. But, yeah, Melvin just doesn't appreciate anything, really, except money. Status, I guess. His own status. And the upkeep of things, but in a way that speaks to not love and care, but keeping them up so that they're kept up to look a certain way. Like, the plaster in the ceiling is probably not a big problem, really. But he's still Mm. frowning at it because he needs it to be perfect. Yeah. I was thinking about Sean's heritage, because yet again he talks about going back to his father's home, right? But then I thought, Sean's real heritage is Kaur. He's inherited him from his father, kind of. Kaur is his legacy, which is a big part of heritage. I think so. I think Sean outgrew his old life and isn't growing into the one that his father had, and he has to choose much like puck is doing putting some of her mother's clothes on and some of her mother's jewelry on but not a dress Mm. much like puck chooses bits of it sean is also choosing bits of his own heritage like he'll have his father's house and freedom but is that really what he wants and i don't know i keep thinking that he has to make his own decisions about what he's really going to focus on now Mm. um okay so tell me about your favorite part of the book it's finn it's finn it's finn and that would be who i spotlight this week as well just because he makes a really stupid bet 45 to 1 if he hadn't if he hadn't been able to pay Mm. oh my gosh like i am a cautious person i would never make a bet like that i 
I, I just feel so nervous thinking about it, but it paid off in the best way. And I just, I love that he was so excited and trying so hard not to smile as he showed Puck that he could save the day. I felt so much pride for him because that's another way he's grown up that he was betting. I mean, please don't start gambling and it's not good for you. But it's another way he's growing up and growing a bit more independent and making decisions on his own. I just love him so much. I love that he um, took Puck on this little ride when he was having the conversation. He's mm. like, well, why don't we buy core? And she's like, well, we can't. And he's like, not even with this. And Money! Like, so... <laughs> and she's outraged, of course, but also quietly, I think, impressed, which is good. And then yeah, I love that line where she, he was like, Dory Maud said you were a, a good bet. I just love the idea of Dory Maud also being like, yeah, go for it. Well, this is her vice turned to a virtue. You know, they read the signs, whatever they do, those three maybe witches. (laughs) Did you have a character you wanted to spotlight this time around? I was actually going to spotlight George Holly, who even though he doesn't really have a speaking role, um, he's very present. You know, when Puck goes to look for Sean after all... The tedium of winning, which I think is just so funny how she's just got no time for yeah. any of it. Yeah. You know, George Holly's already been down to the the beach to go and find Sean and is like leading him away. And he's the one who kind of gives Sean advice about, you know, Sean says that George Holly says it's crazy for me to buy a core and then release him. Yeah. And, you know, he's offered his advice and he's said that he can help and they can fix core and... He's there, and I love that description of both him and Puck with their arms crossed with the same posture, watching Sean They're do They're Sean's this. best friends, and I love that so I much. Just, same, and I just think, you know, he's just a good friend. He's there to give advice, even if someone might not want to hear what he's got to say. If it's good advice, he's going to give it. He's mm. supportive. If you don't take his advice, he's not going to be mad at you or anything like that. He's just a solid presence and in times of crisis and times of emotional turmoil, that's what you need. And he's there for Sean. So I just wanted to give a shout out to George Holly. Amazing. Hmm. He is amazing. Actual snack with a heart of gold. Exactly. And you're obviously going to spotlight Finn. Yes. Oh, I just, look, I love him so much. I love that he has grown and changed and developed and had as much of a journey as as Puck and Sean in his own way. I think him being able to come to terms with having anxiety and stimming and not really knowing what to do with himself as he grows up, that's a big step for anybody. Mm. And I'm really proud of him because he's, I mean, Finn sees what everybody else doesn't, right? Like he can tell Mm -hmm. a storm's coming. And I think he was able to see that with Puck in a way that even though she's so close to him, he was able to see that she would persevere. Mm. And I'm really proud of him because he took a big risk, but I think he bet right. I mean, we know he bet right, but I'm still proud of him for doing it. Yeah. I would have told him not to, but I'm glad he did. (laughs) So sneaky about it as well, because, you know, in the previous section, Puck's like, oh, we finally used all the money in the biscuit tin. But you didn't, did you? Because Finn snuck out with it. And it's almost as much as the purse from the race, too, is what she says. Which means that, like, they have their house back and enough to buy core and probably food for a while, not just beans. I'm ready for them to eat something that's not beans, I'm telling you. I agree. I think it'll be so good for them. And now I want to make beans and cornbread because that actually sounds amazing. All right, so should we do a quick 
wrap up of the book because we're not returning to this world anymore and it was so wonderful I'm not sure I want to leave it just yet it is interesting getting so involved in a world and with characters and it just being one book I guess you know with the inspiration for our podcast Harry Potter and the Sacred Text you've Mm. got so many books and you know it's such a wide wide world that you know I've definitely been in for years and years and years and so it just feels permanent it feels like you're just reading this thing that's always there but this is kind of more temporal I guess like it feels very much like a closed book now it's like okay it's done and we're done and we're gone and we're never going back yeah which is not true because we can go back anytime that's the magic of reading we can and it'll be different too like I really want to sit down and read this all the way through sometime soon maybe in a day and just mm-hmm. see how much more I get from it now that we've spent all of this time talking about it. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it goes if you just read it as you normally would read mm. rather than stopping and thinking about it or rereading it. Just go. Yeah, just gen through it like we do. Yeah, and see what it's done to your um, experience. I definitely have noticed a difference in the way I'm reading, even when I'm reading in a non-analyzing way. A non-analytical, non-critical, non-considering. I don't know. When I'm just reading to blitz through things, because I quite enjoy just through mm-hmm. a book. I'll skip paragraphs, get the gist mm. of it, and skip it and not really focus on it. Whereas in this book, I had to go back and think about everything so much. And I feel like I really got a lot more by doing that, which is obvious. But I also think I lost something in flow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a lot more stop-starty, right? Yeah. And one of the things that I really enjoy about Maggie Stivata's writing is kind of how it's it's quite lyrical it's quite it's a dreamscape right mm. she weaves this kind of world around you and you kind of get into a rhythm when you read it so you lose that with the way that we're reading this because it's like you stop and then you go back and then yeah you read it like this and then you read it so you kind of lose the that mystical weaving thing that you get if you're just reading it in one yeah big lot I I, I really struggle to read things over a long period of time or to savor things. So this was a good practice for me. Yeah, same. <laughs> like I'm the kind of person who skips ahead or like will read the ending of a book if I'm getting too stressed. I'm like, I just need to know what happens. I can't I can't be dealing with this. <laughs> I spoil myself on shows as well. I'm the same. I want to know. Thank God yeah, for Tumblr and their abundance of gifts, which have told me pretty much everything I need to know about every show that I'm in the fandom for because it helps. <laughs> I know what to expect. I also know if I'm going to invest my energy in it or not. That's a big thing for me. I'm like, I want to know where this is going because otherwise I'm not going to bother. There's so many yeah. things I need to be doing or yeah. want to be doing. Um, I think I've learned a lot from this experience, both personally and how I read and interpret. And just it's given me a newfound appreciation, I guess, for reading. Yeah. Which I've always loved, but yeah, definitely the amount of work that goes into creating something so magical. And also just what you can learn from it and apply to your life and the things you can recognize. Oh, absolutely. I did have a lot of moments where I thought, this is something I should remember for myself. Whether yeah. I'll actually manage to apply them going <laughs> forward is another thing. But I have a question that's a bit left field. Do you see pictures in your head? Like, can you close your eyes and picture stuff? Yep. So when you're mm-hmm. reading, you get that really vividly. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so I'm the same. Uh, my husband does not. I don't remember. It's got an official name. Um, he he does not see pictures in his head. So I like I usually get an impression from a book as I read it, and then that's just the world in which it lives. It's the same. I mm-hmm. go back to it when I reread. But this time, I, I think because we slowed down, more of it evolved and changed in different and better ways. Oh, cool! Yeah. So 
in my mental image, it was all one beach, one cliffs. And now it's like four different ones. Mm -hmm. Because there are all these different places where they go. Like the racing cliffs, the the racing beach is different to the cliffs where they train. It's different to where they sent off Tommy Falk and his horse. Mm -hmm. It's different again to where Sean's father took him out to see the Kapolishka, which is near his house. Like, it's all so different. It definitely made... Like, it's been a while since I read it, so there wasn't much for me to return to in my memory. But I did... Thisbe felt a lot bigger this time Mm. around. I used to think of it as quite a small island, but I think it's small in terms of population, but it's quite... There's quite a lot of variety in size. Yeah. Not like Tasmania, but... No, no, not quite that big. But maybe like Sky. Sky's quite big, kind of. Like, you can drive around it in a day. Yeah. Well, I was thinking like, um, what is it, King Island? That's the one in the middle with all the farms Mm. on getting back to the book a bit like I kept thinking about how home was such a huge theme the whole time Mm. and especially now that Puck is certain of her home it's no longer under Mm -hmm. threat but Sean is letting his go that really struck me he's willing to let his home go in order to give Cor happiness yeah because Cor is very much his home right (laughs) I think Sean has just really had to reevaluate his life because he's only just allowed himself to be honest I think to really allow himself to feel and be honest about what he wants and his feelings and all these things and you know that changes the way you perceive the world so for Puck she's always been quite solid like it might have shifted a little bit but she's still a Connolly right she knows her place in the world she knows where she stands and I think that's because she is you know if we think about her as Thisbe she's the island she is rock she is steadfast whereas Sean is the ocean he is coming and going changeable changeable and immutable at the same time yeah amazing and I think he's just discovering you know I don't think for Sean home has never been a place right it's always been it's been core and now I think it can be Puck as well yeah I think that's the main thing I took from it was that he's allowed himself to grow a little more open I kept thinking of like plants digging into the side of a a hill a rocky hill you know they put their Mm. roots wherever they can find them and I think he's just got another little rootlet in him going I've got room for this oh I guess I do now yeah Puck kind of worked her way in against his own wishes maybe but but I think the amazing thing about that is she just understood him and fell kind of in step beside him there was no need for anyone to change the way they were doing things there was no expectation Mm. that anyone be anything other than who they were they just understood each other well and even before she could guess what he was thinking or why he wasn't saying things she just she gave him the space to do what he needed to do and she gave herself the space to learn him and yes they were both kind of grumpy but (laughs) that's just how they are right i think that's just people who live on thisby truth I don't know. I love the idea of them being cozy and happy together. Yeah, me too. I think there's always going to be some grief and some loss. Cor might never run again and Gabe might never come back, but that doesn't mean that you didn't have those years with those people. And it doesn't mean it's the end of your life. No, exactly. You can still have the memories, right? And I think the way that Puck and Gabe have reconciled in a way, you know, I can see him writing letters home. And Mm. I don't think that's something he would have done previously, but I feel like he... He'll stay in touch. I think Gabe no longer has the burden of guilt that he's leaving them in a bad situation. Yeah. He doesn't have the burden of guilt because Puck solved the problem, but he, you know, 
it's still gone. But he's also recognised that both Finn and Puck aren't as vulnerable as he thought they were. Like, they're both capable of handling more than he gave them credit for. Yeah, which is extremely, like, it's really hard to see when you're an oldest child. You <laughs> you often feel like your parent's right hand. You feel like the deputy parent. So I think Gabe just being able to let go in a way that's actually healthy is... Mm. A huge step. I thought he yeah. might stay, and I'm glad he didn't. Worried about that the whole time. I knew that he would leave, but I thought he might be like, well, it's solved, so I could stay another winter. But I'm glad he was still packing to go. Yeah, same. And I thought maybe because Tommy had died, he'd be like, oh, I, I don't want to go anymore. Or like, I will go, but not straight away. So I'm also glad that he just, he's pushing on because he needs to go. That's what he needs. Yeah. We've really softened toward Gabe this book, haven't we? Yeah. Well, he's admitted that he made a mistake so that that helps Mm. (laughs) (laughs) we like it when you own up to mistakes yes absolutely and i don't think sean will be able to escape his kind of legacy of being the go-to kapalushka guy just because he might not race doesn't mean that people on the island won't still need him yeah you know he's still gonna have to break up fights and help bury people and do all these things that he's always done because he is the expert and whether he races or not is sort of besides the point. I wonder if he won't just be down there kind of on the fringe of everything rather than part of it. Mm. The whole story everywhere in the book it was look for Sean by looking at the place that was a little apart and completely still. He's always been a part of the race but not really. He's always been a part of the island but not really. So I wonder if him not racing in the future but still being present is more an indication of who he really is mm. or has always been than him actually being this amazing champion. I like the idea of people paying him to give them advice and help them train their horses. You know, be like, hey, we'll give you, I don't know, some money and you'll help us catch a horse and help us train them. So he just kind of is like a traveling trainer going around yeah. during this time to help Not people. a bowler hat, but someone who will actually no. match the right horse to the person the right person and yeah help people get the most out of them and learn to really love them and not just use them i think that's how i see his role that would be ideal and that way puck can just have the regular job because i think she'd much prefer that anyway oh yeah totally and then yeah you know he'll probably sell some horses to george holly and bring puck bread that's what we want that's all we want did you read the author's note at the end i was trying really hard not to no i didn't actually yeah, I always want to know more. I, yeah, it's hard for me. I really want to know everything about a text. I really want to research and dive in and like get all the lore on everything. So having to restrict myself to it was pretty tricky. I think you're better at that than I am. Yeah, I like to just stick to what's in front of me. Not to say that I don't enjoy... Like, I love knowing things. <laughs> I love mm. having information. But I'm pretty good at just being like, okay, this is what I've, the information that I've been given and I'll just read what I've got. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I keep thinking like we have the obvious example of somebody who puts out a lot of canon after it's done, but it's not explicitly in the text and how annoying that is. So it's a bit Mm. nice that we have this ambiguity and there's not like that it's silent on the end of it. It's just a, a full stop there. Yeah, I like that because I think as much as I believe that once you've written a book, it belongs to the reader because they're going to bring their own interpretations to it and it's, you know, it takes on a life of its own and you can't really go in and control the way that people read your work. Yeah. 
I also think that you have to read books as of their time. So I get quite frustrated mm. when people level criticism at things that were created, say, in the 1800s or the early 1900s or whatever, being like, oh, well, you know, this is terrible and this is terrible. I'm like, yes, of course it's terrible because people viewed the world quite differently back then. Mm. So you can't mm-hmm. hold it up to the standards that we have now. Yeah, And I think that's where, you know, the example of the that we've used of people adding things to the text is problematic because you're trying to enforce current views onto a text that existed 10, 20 years ago. Yeah. And you just need to let that stand. And people will bring their own interpretations to that. But if you keep trying yeah. to add, then you're actually just, you're diminishing the text in a way, even though you're adding yeah. things to it. I mean, yeah, that's why it's nice to read the text as sacred in a way because you kind of mm. lose all that you're just taking it at face value you're reading it for what it is and then you don't have to have these really difficult kind of yeah well, where does it sit in this context kind of conversations which is entirely valid and i think very important to have those conversations but this is a different yeah different practice and it's nice to have that space yeah i like knowing that we can just look at the words and look at the story itself and decide based on what's there what we're going to value, what we're going to take from it. Because the thing is, you don't have to love a text or agree with it to view it as sacred. You don't have to say it's the most perfect thing ever. Like, there's a lot about this book that I really wanted to challenge. Mm. Um, And, like, because I'm a generally positive person, I try not to bring that. Like, this is not like a reviewing critic type of thing. So that's not, like, that's not the place for it. But, you know, there are certain things I thought, well, why did the author choose that? Or why, you know, what about this word placement instead? Or... I mean, there's a lot of me that's the writer slash editor going, mm, would I have? But like, if I just say, well, that's irrelevant and put mm-hmm. it to the side, then I'm able to take the story as it is. And I think that that brings more to my understanding of it. Yeah. And what we're trying, well, what we're looking for is meaning, right? What we're trying to find yeah. is to contextualize these sacred texts in terms of our life to enrich our lives and to help us grow as people essentially by finding these themes and doing these deep readings so yeah it's good to that we can be like okay that's up here but we're parking that because that is not what we're looking for i think one of the things i really want to do going forward is to also be mindful that it's not just the author who's telling the story the editor has pruned out a lot of stuff too so Mm. i think a shout out to all the editors who are taking these books and turning them into really amazing things because i know that it is not easy to work with someone who has a vision and help them to shape it in a way that makes it accessible for more readers i'm going to think about that when i'm reading too that there was an editor who went through this as well and thought this has to go this has to stay let's talk about this i want to hear more about that i'm excited for this it doesn't just start with one person it's actually like books are a collaboration Mm. Yeah, editors are amazing. Mm. Really bring it all together, you know, through various drafts. So, yeah. So shout out to all the editors, all the better readers, everybody who takes the story someone else has written and helps to make it good. We love you too. We love everything about books. (laughs) So are there any major themes you wanted to touch on before we close up this book forever? I think, yeah, for me it was definitely home and identity. Those were the two big themes that jumped out at me as a overarching thing I think because you know obviously it was challenging to find who are you basically like who are you going to be is what I think this book was asking and how do you find your place in the world I think that was definitely things that both Sean and Puck were grappling with but also Finn and Malvern and Mutt and Gabe and even George Holly to an extent right it's just this thing that really influenced everyone so yeah, I really enjoyed 
spending the time to really delve into that because those are themes that I find very interesting and I think that's probably why I saw them in the book yeah yeah well if it speaks to you there's a reason right like yeah one of the things I learned um when I like I have a couple of tarot decks because they're beautiful but one of the most important things that really stuck with me when I read the book you know the little info book was that you're not asking for questions from the future you're asking yourself a question that you don't Mm. really know the answer to and every time when I do like a card lay I look at it and I go okay well I'm going to ask this question and then I have to figure out the answer myself using the framework of each card and what we've really done is that but on a literature scale Mm -hmm. through a whole book with different themes Mm -hmm. we've just asked ourselves, like where did we see identity and desire how does that relate back to us and why do we see it there it's a lot of putting ourselves into the pages in order to pull meaning out which is amazing I've loved it all art is conversation right it's basically therapy (laughs) yes I agree I get to judge other people for making poor choices without feeling guilty because (laughs) I don't want to judge people in real life but if book characters are doing terrible things well here I am with my judgment (laughs) love it one thing I thought throughout the whole book was I've really been thinking about scarcity Mm, like what it means to not have and what it means to have Um, and the idea that like what is actual scarcity and what is actually enough and so it's really made me assess what I have yeah. as, is this enough? Is this, is this excessive? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. wondering what is really important and what things we really need. That's really interesting because so much of Puck and Sean is kind of, you know, them saying, if I had this, it would be enough. It's not about, mm. it's like, what is happiness? Is happiness having everything you want or is it just being comfortable, right? It's being, yeah. yeah the bare minimum to make you happy we live in a very capitalistic society where we're constantly pushed to have more 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 like you always have to get the latest version of something you always have to buy new things and there's new style and fast fashion i certainly find myself getting caught up in that when i open my email inbox and there's like you know six emails being like sale on and i'm like okay cool and i go fill up my car i'm like i don't need any of this what am i doing and you have to stop yourself yeah and when you live in an environment like thisby where there's probably a boat every four months that bring supplies if that yeah. do you that's really not an need issue? it yeah. yeah it's sort of like what what do you take if your house is on fire thing because I do love things and I do love cute things but I just wonder like what really is enough yeah it really calls to me to just be more appreciative of the now and of what you have yeah. rather than always chasing what's over the next horizon right just be really yeah. present in your life and what you have Because, you know, I am very blessed and I probably don't need anything else if we're completely honest. (laughs) So did you come away with anything new from this reading? Because I know that it had been a while since you read it. Um, yeah, I think I came away with it just being more aware of the depth of feeling, I guess, if that makes sense. Like, you know, I read it in a typical Jen fashion the first time, so I just blew through it. And this time Mm. I really saw the, the finer threads connecting Sean and George Holly and Puck and Dory Maud and like the sisters there and the way Peg Grattan folds into the story I think I had a greater appreciation for what the the characters on the edges bring and certainly what other people in your life bring to your life you know they might not necessarily be main characters in your life but they are what prop up your day-to-day essentially yeah. you know they make the supporting your life characters full. Yeah. yeah and how important that is and like Peg saves the day at the end there I just can't be proud enough of that. Like, I feel like everyone really rallied in the end. Mm. And yeah, 
Peg's gift of the mantle of Thisbe and Finn's incredibly risky bet and Gabe providing a feast, just like so certain that his sister would be fine, that he bought food for, you know what I mean? Like Mm. he, he had to plan that before he knew that she would be coming home. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, I definitely got more. I found a lot more symmetry this time around. I found Mm. a lot more parallels. So I know we kept kind of joking about how Sean and Puck were the same person, but I found Puck's deliberate mirroring of other people really interesting to look for Mm -hmm. this time Mm -hmm. because it's how you learn, especially children, that how they learn is copying. Um, And when they're copying speech, um, it's called echolalia. But to see Puck doing this with her behaviors, like take note of what people do and then see what's effective and then to use it. She was Mm -hmm. like so brilliant at it and I loved that. I love that she then turned it at the very end she turned it right back around on Malvern. Yeah. Busted into his house like she owned the place and slapped down her money like he slapped down the the note for her saying that her house was under threat. She just left the money there and demanded a job and told him not to be a jerk and off she went. It was great. I'm here for it. Yeah, definitely. I think that was amazing. And I loved seeing the similarities, like you mentioned, between her and Sean, how, you know, you'd see him describe something one way and then two chapters later, she describes it in the exact same way. I think it just really yeah. showed that they were on the same wavelength. Simpatico. And, yeah. And I like, I picked this up in like our first chapter, but I kept looking for it throughout the whole book. It's just the way that colors really come through. Like there's so much mm. mention of the colors and the deep, deep blue and the, the red and the this and that and like everything is you know the dark of the ocean against the white cliffs like colors are so vivid in this world even though you think of Thisbe as quite sparse there's a lot of color yeah it is it's a very colorful place but in a specific palette um did you have any final marginalia was there any part of the book that was your particular favorite you mean of this section or just in general (laughs) anything I will take anything oh gosh that's a big question I think something that I actually wanted to come back to that I only thought about this morning is, you know, when Puck goes to confessional and she's so desperate to be absolved of this thing that she didn't do Mm. and she moves out and she says, you know, she finds Annie and Elizabeth sitting there and she describes Annie as having, you know, smudged lipstick and she's like, but I can't judge her because she's blind. (laughs) But this must be right after she's seen George Holly. George Holly. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, is that why Elizabeth brought her to church to confess? I think it must be. (laughs) It's just so funny to me. I'm like, I didn't connect those two things originally. And then this morning I was like, hang on a second. Yeah. Yeah, no, Annie's a bit of a hussy, but we love her. As if Dory Maud's not also a hussy. (laughs) Oh, Dory Maud and her legion of lovers. Yeah. I love these three sisters who just know what they're about. Look, I think probably my favorite is Sean saying this sky and the sea and the sand and core Mm. because I don't think it means just that I think it also means like Thisbe and the colors and the island itself and the sky above him and the freedom that he wants so badly to live here with Mm. core and then it becomes Puck because she is the island she is all of the colors of the island that's a really good one I think on that same kind of thing that really stood out to me that I always think about is when he's in the ocean and he says everything about me is exact the same the exact same as it was 500 years ago Mm. I love that sense of history and just like the enormity of legends and tradition and just this idea that you can stand somewhere 
And that's why I love the Scorpio festival as well. And also when they talk about the church and about the stables, because it's an idea that when you can stand somewhere and you can feel the history in a place, like I've had moments where I visited ancient sites and you can feel it. It's like a mm. physical presence, you know, yeah. it's like you can put your hand in the dirt and you can like feel the battles that took place there and all these yeah. enormous things that have happened. And I feel like when Sean talks about everything is exactly the same as it was 500 years ago, that is the weight of Thisbe and everything that makes Thisbe what it is that he's feeling. And I just think there's something really special about that. When I was in, in Wales, we went to um, Llandaff Cathedral. And the second I walked in, it just felt like a sacred space because it was so old. And the other thing mm. was, is it had survived bombing for World War II. So it had like actual pits and gouges in the sides mm. from like artillery going off near it. And there's a sense of time and history within it but it just felt sacred when I went in it and I think that's like there's something about the cumulative ritual of going into a place and and like performing the same I don't know sanctified actions yeah I don't, yeah I don't know what sparks that and I think people have it in different locations as well it's not always the same spot that feels holy I guess it's what feels holy yeah. to you right or feels sacred to you yeah it's very subjective but it can often be shared there are definitely places where people feel compelled to be vulnerable together in that way mm. which might be why it feels like a sacred space oh well we should probably wrap this up then I am so glad that we covered this book and I am so sad that it's over but we're not finishing up we have another book in the works mm-hmm do you want to talk about it? I'm excited. Um, so we're going to be reading Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman, um, which is not overly long. Um, hmm. And we're going to do another 10 sessions. And I think it's, what, two chapters per session? Yeah, it's only 20 chapters long, which feels like we're going to get so much more depth out of these tiny little bits. But also, what are we going to do with ourselves? I know, so much time. We're really going to get into the, the nitty gritty, I think, of our themes. Yeah. So we're still working through how we're going to manage the themes, I guess, because mm. it is a shorter book, so we get to play around with it a little. And I think it's good if we challenge ourselves with some new practices every time we read a new book. Like, it's a kind of a mini reset every time, right? So yeah. yeah, I am excited to sit down and pick out themes, but also we're going to get a break because we need a break. Mm -hmm. So you're going to go off and have a vacation, and I am going to try and binge watch... Mandalorian. <laughs> It'll be nice to come back with fresh eyes and start a new book, as sad as we are to leave behind Thisbe and Puck and Sean. Yeah, we're going to have a nice break and we'll see everyone, well, we'll talk to everyone soon. Thank you for potting with me and thank you for all of your wonderful conversations. Oh, thank you for joining me on this delightful trip to Thisbe. Wouldn't have done it with anyone else. I can't wait for our next adventure. I know, how exciting. Get to travel the world. Exactly. <laughs> One magical book at a time. That's the magic of it. All right. See you in a few weeks. See ya. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Jen D and Jen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at www.marginaliapod.com.